0: God, my king, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day. Yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Those are verses 12 to 17 of Psalm 74, which is the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, July the 28th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing to look at the book of Judges today. We're going to be in Judges chapter 4, verses 4 to 23. Also continuing in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, verses 55 to 66. And then in the book of Acts or the Acts, because it's the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verses 15 to 26. So we've got a new judge in town, and her name is Deborah. And so we have, the first time, a female who is leading and judging the people of Israel. Now, it's an interesting thing. We talk about headship, and we talk about, you know, who is qualified to be the head, and here you see it as Deborah, and... Um, I can remember one of the last classes I took in seminary um, had to do with uh, inner healing, and it was taught by a lady named Leanne Payne, who had a, um, a very large worldwide ministry uh, that she led at the time, and, and it was a wonderful thing. And, and somebody asked her about the work that she was doing, and, and she said at the time that how pleased she was to see somebody in the Anglican world, that being the AMIA at the time, step into what she perceived was a void of leadership. On certain issues, and she said the reason she was doing the work that she was doing was not that she was um, the, the the chosen and anointed. It's because there were no men who were willing to step up and do this work. So it's um, it, that's what it looks like when we read this passage today. You'll it, it will it, I think it'll become apparent to you what the problem is in Israel at the time, and it, it's a lack of male leaders. So here we go. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So Ramah and Bethel. Ramah is what is is where um Samuel is from, and Bethel is where the first house of God is. That's exactly what it means, in fact, is Bethel means house of God. So <clears throat> that's where she was, was in that area, and the people would come to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun? And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. So it sounds like Barak has been given a word by the Lord about what to do and has hesitated to do it. So now she has to summon him and confront him with this and say, hasn't he told you this? Now, and she then gives him the prophetic promise that Sisera and his army will be given over to uh, Israel. And Barak said to her, if you'll go with me, I'll go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Do you see this problem that I was talking about, the problem of, of male leadership? She's telling him, hadn't the Lord told you to do this? She gives him the promise that he'll win, and yet he won't go unless she goes with him. I mean, Really? It's certainly, if I have a difficult job to do, I don't make doing that job contingent on Suzanne going with me. But no, she's already given him the prophetic promise, and she said, I'll surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you're going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will lead Sisera into the hand of a woman. And I believe that's a consequence of his insistence that Deborah go with him, rather than him stepping into the responsibility and role he's been given including the promise of success. So she says, nope, you're not going to be the one to capture this king. It's going to be a woman who's going to do that. So Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh, and Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali, those are two tribes in that area, to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now, Eber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. Now, is this um, the Midianite priest Jethro, or is it the father of this Egyptian woman? I mean, it's difficult to see, but I I believe that this, this Hobab is also Jethro, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zionim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Hashoreth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go before us? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him, and the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army, so he's not in the chariots, he's pursuing the army, which is the right thing to do, to Herosheth Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword, but not a man was left. But... Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite that we met just a couple of seconds ago. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. So he felt like he was going to have sanctuary in this place. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So she's offering him aid and comfort. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I'm thirsty. It's just an odd next statement, right? So what does he ask for? He asked for some water. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. Now, I don't know if she just didn't have water or whatever, but, but it's an odd transition from give me a little water. So she gave him some milk. And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent. And if any man at, comes and asks you, is anyone here say No. So you're going to act as a sentry, and you're going to act as as my security guard, and all you have to do is tell anybody who comes, nope, there's nobody here. But Jael, the wife of Haber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness, so he died. So she drove a tent peg and completely threw his head into the ground. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I'll show you the man whom you're seeking. Uh, I don't know if it's all she said, but you could imagine the smirk that would be on her face if if that's what she said. Come, check the guy out. He's right here. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with a tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. So we're continuing the conquest of the land with this tribe. Now, this this nation has been defeated. And so in the last two days, we've seen these odd stories. The first one of um, Ehud and Eglon, where Eglon is stabbed to death and the sword closes over, the, the fat closes over the sword all the way to the hilt. And now here we get Jael, the woman, driving a tent peg through the head, through the head of the commander of the army. <coughs> so... The moral of of those stories is God will get things done however he chooses. And and in these two cases, what he had chosen was a left-handed man, which was considered to be, you couldn't be a priest, for instance, if you were left-handed. It was considered a defect. So you get a left-handed man and a woman now who are are leading and doing the work um, that God needed to get done in order to complete the conquest of the land. In this uh, gospel lesson today, so Remember, yesterday was the, was the death and burial uh, uh, of the death, I mean, of Jesus on the cross. So there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and, mother, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock and He rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. Now it's the Passover and its approaching uh evening, which is when the Passover begins, so the the issue is, is they've got to take care of this hurriedly. Now, in Judaism, you need to understand that, that the body of one who had been crucified on a tree th- was thought to be accursed, the one who was crucified was. And so the body was typically not buried in a tomb because it carried a curse with it. It was an accursed thing. So touching it, dealing with it, all that stuff was, was considered to be um, not just sinful, but it defiled and so Jesus's body would have, quote, defiled this tomb because he was killed on a cross. And so when Joseph goes, he's taking a risk in the sense that he is, he is openly aligning himself with Jesus when he was rejected by the nation. So for Joseph to do this took some courage. It took some faith. And so he goes and he retrieves the body, puts it in the shroud, puts it in his own new tomb, which means that nobody else had yet been buried there. Because the practice would be you'd be buried there, and then for a time your body would be there. And then once your body had decayed and degraded, then the bones would be put in an ossuary and put away, and then someone else could be buried there as well. And so that was a practice of, of how burial Customs were, but but the custom was to prepare a bari- body for burial, and which is what Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are, are going to do once this Passover is finished. So in three days' time, that they're going to come and do this. So, um, he had rolled this great stone across it to keep out, you know, animals and body snatchers and things like that. So the next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that impostor said while he was still alive, after three days I'll rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. So they're aware what Jesus had been telling his disciples. They're they're aware that he had been promising that he would indeed come back from the dead, that he would be risen from the dead, resurrected. And so they're concerned that the disciples are going to come, they're going to take the body, and then they're going to tell everybody that he's risen pilate said to them you have a guard of soldiers go make it as secure as you can so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard so it's the it's the jews who were doing this that they had their own soldiers as it were that they were more security guards than soldiers um because they were limited in what they could do but in the um in the acts passage So remember yesterday we saw the ascension, and now in those days Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. So a pretty good-sized crowd, right? 120 people. Um, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. And then parenthetically, now this man acquired, a, this is Luke speaking, not Peter, by the way. This is Luke giving some information. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong. He burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, that is field of blood. So in other Gospels, what we read in Matthew's Gospel, for instance, we, what we just read a couple of days ago was is that Judas hanged himself after um, he realized that Jesus was going to be crucified and, um, and then tried to return the money. And then they, the, the chief priests and rabbis, then bought that field. Um, there, there's a similar situation. Mean, so which of the two is correct? Which of these, those two stories is correct um, is an open question. And it's not that it's critical and there's no theology <laughs> that's established based on that. Anyway, so then he goes on to say, Peter does, um, concerning Judas, for it's written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So what Peter is saying is we've got to put somebody in position here. He says, so one of the men who accompanied us during all the time the Lord went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So Peter's got in mind that 12 is the right number. And and it, there's a lot of Jewish reasons to believe, yes, 12 is the right number, right? I mean, starting with the 12 tribes of Israel, and, and these 12 are essentially going to be the replacement 12 for those 12. They're going to be the patriarchs of the church in the same way those other 12 were the patriarchs of, of the nation part of the patriarchy of the nation, at least. And so here, that's what we get, is, is Peter says, we got to have 12, because that's a magic number. It's a, it's a completion number in um, Judaism. So he says, we got to choose somebody, and it's got to be somebody who's seen everything. And they put forward two, Joseph called Sabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And then they prayed, And said, quote, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two have you've chosen to take the place in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered among the eleven apostles. And then we never hear of him again. (laughs) It's interesting, certainly, that they prayed and said, Lord, show us which one it is, and then they cast lots. And, okay, so who told you? that you needed to replace that person did did you have a choice in the in the choosing of your, your yourself no in fact most of you would have opposed matthew being chosen to be one of the 12 but here they, they believe that it's incumbent upon them to fill out that number of 12 and it has to be somebody who's seen everything who's been there for everything because they're witnesses of this what they still don't understand is the Holy Spirit is perfectly capable of allowing people thousands of years later to to have the same faith they did without having seen. Even in the next little bit, it's going to happen. It's going to happen with Paul. When God chooses Paul, he chooses Paul essentially to be that replacement disciple. But it's not on the criteria that Peter sets forth here, which is to say that you've um, been with us the whole time. You've seen and heard all the stuff. And so the, the, the criteria God has is a remarkably different thing. It, it's he chooses somebody for his own reasons. And you would think that he would have chosen Paul specifically to, to speak to the Jews because, well, he was a Pharisee. He was the only one in the group who would have qualified as a Pharisee. He was the only one in the group who would have studied under the rabbinic schools, and so you would have thought that you're going to choose Paul, okay, fine, he'll be the one who reaches the, the uh, Jews, but no, he's given exactly the opposite task. So was he prepared? Yes, because he had a business, and so he interacted regularly with those people who were not Jewish. But, but God chose him, the one who's persecuting the church, to come in and fill out the ranks of apostles not that he wanted to cap it at 12 for any reason but but obviously God chooses him in the same way that remember way back in in Exodus when Moses um, chose had him choose 70 of the elders bring them before him and he put his spirit on them and so 70 came but two stayed in the camp and and the spirit of the Lord fell on them and they began to prophesy just like those the people had chosen. so Paul is likewise chosen by God to do this work. People can choose. They can make their own choices and all that kind of stuff. But God has the final say in, in who becomes the important person, just as he did there in, the, in that first lesson where it becomes Jael, this woman who becomes the one who is killing Sisera, the commander of the army. So it's, it's an Im- important thing for us to always look at the anointing not just who laid hands on that person, but but the anointing that's only visible when we listen to the teaching and examine the life. And so God raises up who God wills and does what he wants. And then we see that again in that gospel lesson. He raised up a guy, Joseph of Arimathea, that we've never even met before we meet him here when he comes to take the body of Jesus. And then he also chooses Martha, or the Marys, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, to be the ones to receive the first witness of the resurrection. And it's a wonderful thing to see this that God always is the one who chooses, equips, and anoints.